Welcome to the Most Important Work Podcast with clinical psychologist, Dr. Jessica Black. Each episode, she uses her background in addictive behaviors and psychological trauma to address common questions and concerns of the loved ones of individuals with substance use disorders. We invite you to visit our website to suggest questions and topics you'd like Dr. Black to address in future episodes. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Ms. Maureen Cedro, who holds a master's degree in theology and has been working in the fields of grief and spirituality for the past 25 years. And Ms. Cedro's current role as a bereavement counselor at a community hospital in southwestern Pennsylvania, she is spearheading a new family-based grief support program that will utilize various modalities such as art therapy, music, and pets to help children from age five to 19 cope with their sadness due to the death of a loved one. And many of our listeners today are involved in the life of a child who is struggling with grief due to a loved one's death from a drug overdose. If you were one such listener, then we hope that our conversation today can bring you some comfort and offer you some guidance and how to help yourself and how to help the child in your life navigate this pain, navigate this painful experience. This episode's subject matter is particularly heavy, so we encourage you to do something light afterward to enliven your heart and your mind. Ms. Citro? Hi, Jessica. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. So how did you come to work in the field of grief? Well, you know, with most journeys, it's the doors opening and closing along the way, right? right. So I, uh, I got my master's degree from St. Vincent Seminary. And while I was there, I, I learned that you could do something called CPE, which is clinical pastoral education at Westmoreland Hospital, which is like a supervised internship to become a chaplain. Oh, great. Uh, so great. I did eight units of that and fell in love with the work. Uh, so following that, I found that uh, I, I was fortunate to get a job as the director of pastoral care at Jeanette District Memorial Hospital where I developed a pastoral care program and what I found as I worked in that field as a chaplain that so many things are about grief you know whether it's impending loss or perceived loss things right. like that so um, following that uh, position I started working with hospice uh, and as a chaplain and then eventually as a bereavement counselor so I've been with Excel now for uh, about 12 years so many things are about grief yes why do you think that is why do you think it comes back to grief well we you know we're, I think we're always losing things in one way or another you know we lose touch with people just in a general way right uh, you know things change right. we grow we we move, you know, losses yeah. are little, losses are big, right. you know, it, it's all dependent. Right. And when you think, if you even think about how as we grow, uh, the losses that are significant when we're young certainly mm -hmm. aren't that significant when we're old. Think right. of the first boyfriend or girlfriend that you lost, you know, right. when you broke up and how right. devastating it was. Yeah, and right? it really was <laughs> yeah. devastating. Right? Right? Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a great point. So we lose things all the time. and and it affects us but we don't always acknowledge yes. that we've suffered that loss mm -hmm. and then you moved into hospice care yes right 
which is, as I understand, it's it's a service that is typically for older adults who are at the end of their lives. Yes, typically, although unfortunately we do get, you know, younger adults, right. we do get children. Um, but yeah, for the most part, our population is the older population. And recently you've been designing um, a new family-based program that's working with children who have experienced grief. Mm -hmm. And um, and you're really doing a lot of work to get um, the message out there that children do grieve yes, <laughs> and that absolutely. it's important to pay attention to their losses mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. How did you shift from hospice care that is primarily older adults to work directed more with children? Well, yeah, as our, as our hospice care, um, working with the older population, the older population has children, grandchildren, you know, so there's always children involved, either directly or, you know, in the periphery. So we've always been aware that there's a population that, that needs tended to. And in our hospice program, we can tend to them individually. Uh, and occasionally we would offer group support. Mm -hmm. um, but as we did that, um, I found personally that I didn't think we reached as many children as we could potentially. And when you right. think about a death, a singular death will affect at least two people, if not more. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that the 2018 statistics uh, for Westmoreland County, the coroner cases were almost 3,000. Oh. So if each yeah. one of those deaths yeah. affects two or more people, that's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Approximately one in 13 children uh, experience a loss of a parent. That's a lot of children. That's a lot of children. And that, that's a lot of broken hearts. Right. right. So we always wanted to expand it, and it just was very fortuitous, if mm -hmm. I said that correctly. Um, because, it, you know, especially now uh, with the opioid crisis, you know, the increase in loss and death, you know, that, that we have more children that are becoming, you know, um, in need of grief support. Um, we, uh, the hospice program itself, we did a, we did a presentation at St. Vincent College a, a couple years ago, probably about close to three years ago, on hospice for mm -hmm. their spirituality and aging group. Mm -hmm. And it was held at the Fred Rogers Center. And while we were there, we talked to uh, Mary Beth Spohr, who was oh, the dean at the time. Yeah. yeah. And um, she said, you know, if there's anything we can do to help you, because mm -hmm. she really welcomed our program, she said, you know, let, let us know. Well, we're standing in the Fred Rogers Center, and right. we're like, well, as a matter of fact, you know, is there anything that we can do to connect with the center itself? Mm -hmm. So she set up a meeting, uh, myself and uh, the director of the center at the time, June Lee, and uh, Dana Winters, mm -hmm. and we just started talking about what the potential was. And what was amazing to me was as we were talking, like, it just became very clear to me what it was that we were missing in our program and that was like a strong foundation mm -hmm. of, of grief research. Mm -hmm. uh, so then they offered to let us work with their uh, Fred Rogers scholars mm -hmm. and from there we were able to begin the development of the program so that's that's where it all started. That's uh, so wonderful and you've developed this really much needed program from Fred's work mm -hmm. who was really a pioneer and 
having families talk with children about the difficult things that are going on mm -hmm. and not ignoring it. Mm -hmm. And that's wonderful that you've noticed for a long time, right? That even if it's an older person, a grandparent, there are children who are affected by that. Yes. But so often they're overlooked and people mm -hmm. tend to think, oh, they don't know what's going on. Exactly, right? exactly, yes, <laughs> yes. As you said, right, there's a lot of children out there with broken hearts. Mm -hmm. And I think the cost of not helping children with broken hearts is it's huge. Yes, I agree with you. You know, these are the things that we, if we tend to now, they won't turn into uh, something that'll deeply affect their development and their ability to love and all of those things. You know, we tend to the pain and the grief when it happens mm -hmm. and that way hopefully we can set them on a path where they can live their lives you know happily yeah. mm -hmm. ah that's so beautiful <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you know we're we're talking we're living in southwestern pennsylvania we're one of the places that has been greatly affected by the opioid crisis mm -hmm. so as a hospital grief counselor and working in the grief program you've seen a shift to more children losing is it parents is it siblings aunts uncles what is, what are you seeing i think it's a blend i think because of the opioid crisis in particular i think there's a, an uptick with parental loss uh, and i don't have any statistics in front right, of me to base right. that on but that's just my impression that's what you see. yeah that's what i'm seeing um, and within our families in our hospice program, obviously, as I said, it's been parents, it's been grandparents, it's been, you know, siblings. So it's just wide reaching, really. And it's hard for me to imagine a loss more incredible than losing your parent. Right. And this program we've developed um, that is going to connect with kids based on Fred Rogers' work, based on your years of experience and grief, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Is to help kids know it's okay to be sad yes. and to let them be able to love. <laughs> it doesn't affect their ability to love in the future. Right, yes. Because I can't imagine how difficult it would be if you love someone that much, like a parent, mm -hmm. and you lose them, mm -hmm. to be able to move forward with that. Absolutely, how do you navigate through life? <laughs> right. You know, as adults, when we lose someone we loved, we struggle greatly. Yes. Yes. So imagine a child. Right. And that's very foundational. Mm -hmm. you know? Something that I think is really unique about your program and so wonderful is that you're using, you're going to be using art therapy, music, um, pets, mm -hmm. right? So tell me a little bit about, about that. Well, I'm fortunate um, to have a co-worker, my, our bereavement counselor, Christy Walter, who is an art therapist. And so that just has really helped mm -hmm. develop that whole piece of it because I'm a firm believer that um, for, especially for children, but for mm -hmm. adults as well, you know, there's a place inside of us that we always do not have the ability to access through words, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have the language, we don't have the tools sometimes, or we just don't know how to express what it is we're feeling through language. Mm -hmm. So with the use of something like art, that opens a whole world for yeah. it. And music also, the music component is gonna be actually, uh, what we're using that for is to bring the families together. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, just have them do something fun and uplifting with, with, 
with instruments and music. We're fortunate we, we received a grant from the Jamie Cordial Hall Foundation to, uh, and, and that we're, that money is going towards the purchase of instruments and drums and things for the children to use uh, as, as a bit of uplifting moments, you know, during the process. Because we want to feel children to come and feel comfortable mm -hmm. and happy, even though we're addressing things that are right. very sad, but the overall feeling we want is like, oh, this was good, you yeah, know? And back. of course, pet therapies, the dogs will be there when they walk in the door and they can pet them and the dogs can just hang out and there's a calming aspect to that. So we were just trying to look at all the components that can just help make it feel like a welcoming place and make them feel cared for really thinking about children mm -hmm. and what could be useful to them mm -hmm. and what they could use. Yes. I think you're so right that even for adults, right, for everyone, there's things that we are feeling or experiencing that are hard to put words mm -hmm. to. Absolutely. Right? I, I, I do a lot of support groups for adults yeah. mm -hmm. and we struggle with it. Yeah, and so I think that's great for listeners if they're looking for ways to help a child, right? Maybe looking into art therapy or even just buying some art supplies mm -hmm. and giving them that space to do that. To be creative, sure. Right. Mm -hmm. And then some children may do it in different ways or may connect more with animals than others. Mm -hmm. And the music piece, doing it with the family, mm -hmm. right? A bonding yeah. thing. And also I I love that too because so many kids who go through difficult things like having a family member with an addiction then losing a family me member to addiction they can they're dealing with all these adult like things mm -hmm. and yes. it's they're still children yes. right and we don't want them to lose their childhood and their yeah. loss of innocence and the ability to have fun absolutely and by doing that having music and dance is kind of modeling you should still have fun you and that can still, still be, be part of your life yes. you can still be happy yes mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. oh, that's so wonderful <laughs> um you know, kind of going along with that, are there any common experiences that you see among children who lost a parent? When I, when, if I look at from the hospice perspective, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that strikes me um, for the adults who are um, also struggling with mm -hmm. the loss, but the adults typically um, worry, uh, they don't trust themselves. They don't feel that they know what to say to a child or how to say it to a child. I mean, they don't feel that they have the resources to respond to their child in grief. Um, and they themselves are often overwhelmed. Of you know, they're, they're emotionally drained. Mm -hmm. and, and when they look at their child, they don't really feel confident that they, that they know how to interpret their child's behavior. You know, because children tend to grieve in waves, mm -hmm. right? So even at a funeral home, a child can be inside and crying and five minutes later outside with friends running around. Right. right? Parents, adults, yeah. I should say adults, yeah. don't really know how to interpret that. So mm -hmm. I think a, a big piece of our work is to help them understand the nature of a child's grief, the grief journey for a child. One of the things that I think is important to be aware of is children grow, they grow in their understanding of death. And so as they're growing, they may revisit the death mm -hmm. at different stages in their life. And that doesn't mean that they're, I don't know, backsliding or, you know what I mean? Right, it, it just means right. that, that they're trying to understand what it means to them in the context of their life at that point in their development. Um, 
it doesn't mean that their grief is necessarily unresolved. It just means that they're evolving in their mm -hmm. understanding of death. And that's normal, and, and it's very okay yes. to let them feel that. Yes. And one of the, the pieces of our program that's really pertinent to that is that um, we're going to be working with the children, mm -hmm. but we're simultaneously going to be working with the adults. And a big piece of that is education mm -hmm. and normalization and reassurance, you know, so that they can feel confident that what they see in their children is, is okay, mm -hmm. that, that as long as they're responding mm -hmm. from a place of love, mm -hmm. that it'll be okay, you know. So that's that's a big component for us to, to just really um, support them, yeah. in, not only in their own personal grief, but in their abilities or their felt abilities to, to be with their children and do the right thing. Reassuring them that if it comes from a place of love, it's okay and yes. it's helpful. Yeah. And that it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you're saying that talking about it, mentioning it, is better than not mentioning it. Absolutely. Like Fred says, anything mm -hmm. mentionable is manageable, right? right. Um, <clears throat> parents struggle with uh, what to tell them or not to tell them. I think mm -hmm. that's at the core of it all. I mean, you know, yeah. in a hospice situation, parents struggle or adults struggle with, do I bring the child? to the hospital to see the patient, you know, like all of those components. Mm -hmm. And I think it comes from a, a place of protection. Mm -hmm. You know, it comes from a very good place, but you know, research shows that honesty, openness, telling them what is going on is really important. Mm -hmm. And while the urge to protect is really natural, you know, children, their imaginations will tell them a whole, much, a whole bigger yes. story, right? Yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> no, they all come up with ideas that you could have never dreamed of. So to keep it simple and keep it honest um, and know that when they talk to their children about a loss, it's probably not going to be just one conversation. They'll yeah. come back to it and they'll keep asking questions mm -hmm. until they figure out that they understand the answers. Mm -hmm. And they'll ask what's important and, mm -hmm. you know, as always, you, you only answer the question. You don't elaborate, you just ask, answer what they're asking. Um, and it's also helpful to ask the child, what are they thinking about the loss, you know? Are you thinking about whoever, you know? What are you thinking about? How do you understand all this? And they'll give you a lot of information. So talking, reassuring people who also love this child, that it's they have everything they need already to talk to the child. Yes. Giving the child the space to ask questions that they feel comfortable coming back to it multiple times yes. and you don't need to necessarily elaborate meet the child where they are yes. answer their question yes you don't have to go further exactly exactly so I think this is really that's really great advice too for someone who has a child whose parent died from a drug overdose yeah that's um the uneasiness, I don't know if that's a good word, but you know, just the fear that you're gonna say the wrong thing, mm -hmm. or that you're gonna tell them something that they shouldn't hear. Mm -hmm. We need to err on the side of just being open and honest. And in the, because our society is so well connected now, mm -hmm. they need to hear from you. Because most likely they will hear other things from other people. So if you start at the place of truth and honesty, then that gives them a good, a good foundation mm -hmm. for whatever they may hear on the outside hearing it from you, yes. the person who cares about them, yes, mm -hmm. and who's going to be a steady, consistent person for yes, them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
Something that I think, um, and I don't know if this is accurate or if this is a misconception, do you think there is something unique about children's experience when they lose a parent or a loved one due to a drug overdose compared to when they lose that loved one due to something like an illness, like cancer or a motor vehicle accident or... I do think there is, and I think it comes down to the idea of disenfranchised grief. The idea that um, with opioid deaths, with drug deaths, um, there's a sense that society does not acknowledge or support the grief that follows that type of death. There's a sense of a stigma still. Mm -hmm. um, and that stigma can lead to the people involved feeling embarrassed or a sense of shame, mm -hmm. which does inhibit the grief process. Now, looking back, when I was a youngster in mm -hmm. late 50s and mm -hmm. the 60s, no one ever mentioned the word cancer. It was whispered. It was literally whispered because we did not as a society support that at the time. Mm -hmm. It was it was almost as if something had something really wrong with them, mm -hmm. you know? Because I remember my, my little girlfriend, Joyce, we were mm -hmm. both like five years old, and I remember her mom being in a hospital bed, and I know that her mom died. And I also know that um, my parents would whisper about it, literally, mm -hmm. because we just didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. So then, okay, so that obviously has evolved. Yes. We have no problems talking about yes. it now. Yeah. In the 80s, it yeah. was AIDS. Mm -hmm. If someone had AIDS, we didn't mm -hmm. talk about it. And the people who lost someone to AIDS felt that sense of stigma, embarrassment, shame, whatever, whatever the feelings were. So we went through that. Um, I think we're doing much better in terms of death by suicide. Mm -hmm. I think, um, and, and I think we're we much better yeah. in terms of talking about deaths mm -hmm. from AIDS. Um, but there is that feeling that society is looking down on you for some reason. Yeah. You know? So I think with the opioid crisis, I think there's an yeah. element of that. Yes. And I think that does yes. inhibit the grief process because there's a felt sense of not being able to talk about it mm -hmm. you know so like when we have a program such as we're having mm -hmm. you know that is where we open the doors to talk about the death the type of death you know however it yeah. happened and say that at the core of that you know we accept you and 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 mm -hmm. we're here to help you because you've had a loss i love that and the, and the name of your program is neighborhood kids yes right <laughs> Which is, these are the kids in our neighborhood, and our neighborhood is circling around you. Yes. And it's okay to feel sad. Mm hmm And it's okay yeah. to acknowledge that. And if you, I agree with you, I think that there's kind of this sense that the person who died, if they died from a drug overdose, they did it to themselves. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And children feel so, whether they want to or not, I think it's really common for children to feel so connected to that parent sometimes almost like this they're the same you know mm -hmm. and so there's if there's something that wrong with their parent that people don't even care when they're gone then that also is a message to the child that yes. something is wrong with them right exactly and I think that's a big piece of it I, I think some of the most important things and, and this may or may not be research-based but this is my opinion mm -hmm. um, cons consistency is so important yes. following the loss of someone that, that that was loved, and we as a species are really we're we're kind of reluctant for change. Like mm -hmm. we as adults, yeah. we don't like change, right? <laughs> like that, really. <laughs> so imagine a a world where 
a child exists and the whole world is rocked. Mm -hmm. So if we get down to the basics, stability becomes so important. Mm -hmm. um, William Warden did a study uh, on children who've, who've lost a loved one, and he felt that um, the children who did the best following mm -hmm. uh, the death of a parent were those who experienced fewer changes and disruptions. Okay. But having said that, the caveat is when something like this happens, change is probably inevitable. Mm -hmm. And it's really different, difficult mm -hmm. to provide that sense of stability, at least in the environment sometimes. Mm -hmm. But there are smaller ways to provide stability, yes. right? Showing yes. up for them all the time. Mm -hmm. Whether it's we watch a TV show together every night at this time, you know, mm -hmm. those little things that provide that sense of stability, mm -hmm. that something is just that they can stand on. It isn't going to shift underneath them. Um, and the, the other thing that I think is important is that we love them. Mm -hmm. We just love them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nothing more about that needs to be said, I don't think. And right. to keep communicating, allowing them the space to tell the stories, to talk mm -hmm. about the one who has died, you know, to, to reminisce, to do all of those things. I have a favorite quote. It's, we are all stories just waiting to be told. And I think if you look at children, they're always telling us our, their stories, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's verbally or through their actions, mm -hmm. but they're always telling us their stories. So if we show up and pay attention and give them the space for that, and then also allow them to continue talking about the one that they love, then I think we give them the best chance of moving through their grief in, in the best way possible. Oh, that's such good advice. Making a really conscious effort to keep some consistency in their life yes. and as you said it's it's change is inevitable after the loss sure. right yeah. but even little things like we're gonna watch this TV show together every night yeah. I love that right mm -hmm. and it's something that they can stand on mm -hmm. if something does change telling them that it's going to change and why it changed yes right Absolutely. so that they're not feeling like everything's completely out of you know, mm -hmm. out of their control yes. and, and the world is so chaotic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one consistency, two, reminding them often that you love them. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then three, allowing them to talk and tell their story. Mm -hmm. And children are always telling their stories. We just have to be willing and open to hear it. Yes. <laughs> and it tells them that they're important. Right? Yeah, their sense of worthiness, I think, yes. is huge. I think that that building their sense of self-worth because we don't know in their little minds how they're mm -hmm. interpreting this loss yeah. you know did mommy leave me because she didn't want to be with me you know yes. they go in a lot of places yes. so establishing that they are worthy mm -hmm. of receiving love mm -hmm. of giving love of being a human being in this world yeah. you know so giving them a sense of worthiness is really important like you said, their imaginations mm. are sometimes so much worse than reality. Like, you know, we all say things when we're angry sometimes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And especially if their parent wasn't healthy, mm -hmm. they might have said things more than they normally would have, right? Yes. Like, I can't take this anymore. I, you know, you're driving me crazy. And they may remember that thing. Yes. And how awful for them to have think that that's why their parent is no longer here because of them. Yes. That's kind of, I feel like, the worst case. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to give them the, the chance to tell their story. Yeah, and to reinforce that they, they did nothing wrong. Right. This is not their fault. Yes. There's nothing wrong with them. Mm -hmm. And they're important. And they're worthy of being loved. And they are loved. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, that's so wonderful. In addition to, you know, the program here, are there any other resources that you can tell listeners about for grief that are maybe more national in case they're not from our area? Well, I'm, uh, this is still a bit local, but mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I've worked closely with the Caring Place for Children uh, in Pittsburgh. Um, they've done wonderful work. They're yeah. available. They have online. They have, uh, actually they have offices in Pittsburgh, Erie, Central PA, Warrendale. Oh, that's great. I didn't uh, know that. They are online. You can connect with them. And I also have a phone number. So the Caring Place, yes. which is based out of Pittsburgh, but yeah. has offices in Erie and Harrisburg. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you can reach them. It's 1-888-224-4673. So that's that's a good and that's still semi-local mm -hmm. and there are a lot of um, really good programs uh, available other than these local ones that's right the limit of what yeah. I know here but, yeah um, and it seems like reminding listeners that they already have everything inside of them to help the child as absolutely well. absolutely but still reach out right because we're here to, to help you along and yeah. guide you and give you all the support that we can I think this was such a good conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, if you want to leave our listeners with one thing, what would it be? I'm going to leave with a quote by Mr. Fred Rogers because I think that's very appropriate. Yes. He said that when the gusty winds blow and shake our lives, if we know that people care about us, we may bend with the wind, but we won't break. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to offer diagnosis or treatment of any medical or psychological condition. All treatment decisions should be made in partnership with your healthcare professional.